I took my daughter Billy to Disneyland recently, and for reasons unnecessary to the story, we found ourselves in a shop called Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique. Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique provides princess makeovers for children. It also does night makeovers, but its name references Cinderella's fairy godmother dressing her up for the ball, so princess stuff is kind of its main draw. Now, my daughter Billy is not really into princess stuff. She's going through a real weapons phase right now. We were at the boutique specifically looking for a Black Panther costume, and when the boutique didn't have one, I thought maybe Billy would be interested in Mirabelle's dress from Encanto or in an outfit to dress up like Rhea from Rhea and the Last Dragon. Honestly, if she had expressed even the slightest interest in an outfit from Frozen, I would have been skeptical, but I'd have gotten it for her. Instead, though, she was drawn like a moth to a flame to the idiotic bittiest corner of the shop with like six night accessories. And once there, she begged me for a foam helmet, a shield, and a sword. I don't know why this surprised me. She has a shield and a sword and a full night costume at home, and she plays with them all the time. And because she already has stuff like this, I tried to convince her that she didn't need any more night stuff. This, in my experience, is a normal part of parenting telling my child, you already have something that does this, you don't need another. But that's not exactly what I was doing. I realized that I was actually just trying to dissuade her from getting a masculine costume. Like I said, I would have gotten her an outfit to dress up like Mirabelle or Rhea or Anna or Elsa, but she has zero interest in them. She wanted a helmet, a sword, and a shield. But because Billy is a trans girl, I felt uncomfortable letting her get a night costume because I want her to look like a girl, whatever that means. In other words, I still have shockingly rigid ideas about what being a girl looks like. It's not wrong to want to help Billy pass as a cis girl, but the fact is that dressing up as a knight brings her more joy than tulle or glitter or crinolines, and so dissuading her from accessories that I don't think of as feminine really undermines the whole point of gender-affirming care. In the end, my daughter did indeed acquire the shield, the sword, and the helmet, and none of it has made her any less of a girl. I'm Marcel Cosman, and you are listening to Gender Playground. everybody. You're listening to a brand new podcast dedicated to the joys of gender-affirming care for kids. I'm Marcel Cosman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ramey Marks. This show is for everyone with kids in their lives. Parents, relatives, chosen family and friends, as well as service providers like teachers, doctors, clinicians, babysitters, anyone who is interacting with kids. We assume that if you're listening to the show, it's because you feel called to better support the kids in your life. But maybe you don't have all the tools you need to do that. We also assume that you love the kids in your life and you want to do right by them, even when the world makes it tricky. Marcel, before we dive into today's episode, let's give the listeners some background on who we are and how we came to this project. That's a great idea, Ramey. Why don't you go first? My name is Ramey. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'm a longtime DEI trainer and consultant working mainly in LGBTQ inclusion, as well as a mental health counselor working mostly with underserved populations, including LGBTQ folks. I am also super gay, and as my favorite shirt would tell you, 
way too cute to be binary. I'm Marcel, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm a straight-passing queer, an academic, a public scholar, a mom of both cats and humans, and some of you may know me from the podcast Witch Please. Should we add that we've been friends for nearly 20 years? Ramey, we've been friends for a really long time, and therefore through a lot of life changes. I don't know if I would be the kind of mom that Billy deserves if it hadn't been for your love and patience with me over the years. One of the reasons I wanted to make this podcast is because I feel like I've been so blessed with queer and trans and non-binary friends who have helped me to learn and grow that I really want to extend that same love and patience forward to folks who don't have the same kind of community that nurtured me. So Marcel, you started today's episode with a story about Billy and the kinds of costumes that bring her joy. And in your story, you talked about why you find it hard to nurture her love for dressing up in non-feminine outfits. I did. I did. I do. I wanted to start by talking about this because it's been on my mind a lot lately. I think it's helpful to give some context. So, you know, when Billy was born, my partner and I made the assumption that she would be a boy based on her anatomy. And like, this is very common, right? Most of us have been raised in cultures that treat gender as a binary. So you can be a boy or you can be a girl. And girls are born with vulvas and boys are born with penises. And even people who consider themselves trans allies, like me and like Billy's dad, we make these assumptions until we are told otherwise. And so then Billy told you otherwise. She did. She really did. From around age three, Billy was quite clear that she was a girl. And so we had to have a lot of conversations and do a lot of navigating terrain that we kind of didn't expect to need to navigate. Including your own ideas and feelings about gender, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Totally. If Billy was a cis girl, I would buy her night outfits in a heartbeat. But because she is trans and she likes masculine stuff, I feel kind of like everything I thought I knew about how to embrace and affirm my child's gender is kind of out the window. I'll be honest, Marcel, it sounds like you're still thinking of Billy's gender in binary terms. I want to introduce you to a different, maybe broader way of thinking about gender. I want to talk about what it means to feel joy in your gender. Because it sounds to me like when Billy dresses up, she's experiencing something we like to call gender euphoria. Cue some twinkly sounds. Gender euphoria. That's the title of this episode. Ramey, I'm ready. Tell me everything. Okay, Ramey, this episode is about gender euphoria. So please tell me, what is this? Why does it matter? So before I even answer your question, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to take a step back. Um, you've probably heard of gender dysphoria, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So dysphoria is that feeling of deep unease or just feeling wrong, not feeling good. Um, so when we talk about gender dysphoria, it's there's this disconnect, this unease with 
the world tells me I'm supposed to be this gender or that my gender should look this way. And that doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel fulfilling. It doesn't feel true to me. I feel like a lot of cis folks like me, we really don't get what gender dysphoria feels like. Is there a way that you could describe it or a way that you could explain it so that those of us who haven't had that experience can kind of try to understand what this is like? Yeah. So, Marcel, as you know, you and I are different sizes, different shapes. Uh, We are, in fact, different people. Mm -hmm. That's true. Very true. Imagine uh, you wake up tomorrow and you go about your life and everyone starts calling you Raimi. And maybe at first you're very excited because I know how much you admire me. I do. But also that's that's going to be like a little weird, right? Yes. And then you're going about your day and you go to get dressed and realize you have all my clothes in your closet. Hmm. And I'm, because I'm taller than you, your, your clothes would not feel good no. on my body, even if I like how some of them look. Right. You're going to have some pretty cold ankles and wrists. Mm-hmm. My clothes are not going to be long enough on you. Hmm. And you continue to go about your day. You know, maybe you get one of those name tags that says, hello, my name is. Maybe you write Marcel on it, but every time people look at it, they read Rainy. For one day, that might be weird, but fine. Mm-hmm. But imagine that happening every day in every circumstance. And no matter how many times you tell people, I'm not Raimi, Raimi's great, Mm -hmm. that's not me. But people keep saying, oh, mm, Raimi, I think you're confused. I don't know what you're talking about. You're Raimi. Those are your clothes. This is your therapist job. Go be a therapist. Mm -hmm. What do you mean you're going to try to teach classes? (laughs) You're not qualified to do that. (laughs) So it's not just about the way clothes fit. It's also about like the world telling you that you're wrong about yourself when you know that you're not. As I was telling you that story, I even heard you start to cringe. I know. (laughs) I don't like being gaslit. (laughs) That is really, I think, often what it can feel like. The world is telling you you're supposed to be a certain way, that you are a certain way. And you know that that does not feel accurate. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't fit. It doesn't feel comfortable. You don't feel qualified to be living that life. Right. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed in, you know, reading articles or reading things where parents are sort of hand-wringing about their children's gender is it sounds like people often bring up things that like a child or a person used to like as evidence that they are now wrong. Mm about who they are or what their gender is, you know? So, like, I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to have someone say, well, Marcel, your feet used to be size six. You wore size six shoes all through, you know, grade five. I don't know why you're suddenly telling me that now you wear a size 10. Like, as as though we don't continue to grow and change throughout our lives. Mm -hmm. So we've been talking about gender dysphoria, but... I want to ask you a follow-up question, Ramey, before we get into like our topic proper. Sure. And that is, if gender is a social construct, then why does what we wear even matter? Such a good question from a professor. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the short answer is that it doesn't matter. 
Okay. Generally speaking, you know, I think the reason it quote unquote does matter is because we've decided it does. We live in a world that has constructed gender, gender identity, gender expression to have these certain meanings and expectations. And that is what we're responding to, right? And so I know that it doesn't matter what I or you or anyone else wears. I don't think that that has to determine anything. But I also know that we live in a world where people might respond to what we're wearing in certain ways based on their assumptions, their expectations, and the stories really that we tell about gender. Right. So sort of like how for me as a white person, it's okay for me to understand that race is a social construct. It's good for me to understand that race is a social construct, but that doesn't mean that people who are racialized don't experience the world differently because of racism and because of the construction of race. And so gender, similarly, even if it's a social construct, it has real world impacts. So even if it shouldn't matter, it does. Or even if it doesn't matter to one person, it does to others. And, you know, we're all interacting with each other in this world. So all of this makes me think back to your story, Marcel, that, you know, knowing you and knowing the ways that you have talked to me about Billy before and have talked to me about my own gender, my guess is that you also knew in that moment that it didn't really matter. And you also knew that Billy lives in a world where other people think it does matter and that those messages, those stories are also in your own head and your own life. And even if you can know with, you know, one part of yourself that you love your child and want to support her and she can be whoever she is, there's also all of these other fears and messages and things that you're bringing into it about is this okay? Is this dangerous? Is this bad? Is this what it's supposed to be? Because you've spent your whole life having other people ask you those questions, tell you those those things. Yeah. Wow. That makes so much sense because, you know, like I said earlier, if Billy was a cis girl, night stuff, great. Let's do it. Fuck gender. But all of a sudden, like, oh, okay, well, I'm trying to embrace her gender and trying to enable her to love her gender, love what she wears, love what she does. And yet I'm afraid of what happens if people misgender her. And so my default is, okay, well, let's lean into, let's lean into the gender binary in order to say fuck gender, which doesn't, that doesn't actually make sense. I mean, it, it it doesn't make sense. It makes sense that it, <laughs> it makes sense that that's your instinct. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily have, I think, the outcome you want. So we got in. We got onto this topic because you're going to tell me about gender euphoria. And when Billy gets dressed up, when she dresses in costumes, you were saying that it sounds like she experiences gender euphoria. And I want to know more about that because that's what I want for my child. 
Absolutely. So, you know, I think even what you were just saying, Marcel, that you are trying to validate Billy's gender by falling back on the the tropes and expectations because you don't want her to feel bad or to feel wrong. You want people to see her and the way that we see girls, right? We, we attach that to these very feminine expectations and whatever we, again, we define as feminine. And gender euphoria instead is coming from a place of what feels exciting, what feels empowering, what feels authentic and true to oneself as opposed to, you know, a reaction, right? Instead of saying, you see me wrong, right? I don't feel that that's right for me. So let me respond. Let me try to convince you. It's saying, that's not where I'm coming from. Gender euphoria is coming from a place of this is what feels exciting and powerful and makes me feel like my best self. That is what I want. Absolutely. I want Billy to feel 100% in love with who she is. And I think one of, I hesitate to say successes because she's still quite young. <laughs> got a Life is long. We've got a lot of parenting years to go. But she's always seemed very confident and very happy in the clothes that she wears and in the um when she like dresses up and and you know is these these different versions of herself they all are still her that makes sense like there was one year for school pictures where she wanted to wear like a a pink batman mask (laughs) and and a cape and so we were like okay That's fine. So we've got these incredible school pictures of her wearing like a cape and a mask. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm going to need a copy of one of those. Thank you. <laughs> yes, you're welcome. It's in the mail. Perfect. And I just, I wonder, like, I did not intend for this episode to be a process whereby you therapize me and support me. <laughs> Truly, but, I can't help it. Oops. That's what's happening. So... How can I refocus so that I'm less in reaction mode? I'm less trying to overcorrect, if that makes Mm. sense. So like, oh, Billy has this anatomy, but is girl, therefore we must overcorrect for the Mm -hmm. mistakes we made by misgendering her for her first three years, right? So how, how can we get ourselves as you know, caregivers of children? How do we get ourselves out of the the reactionary or overcorrection mindset and instead focus on gender euphoria as Mm. the sort of guiding principle for how we raise and engage the children in our lives? You know, I think the best answer I can give you, Marcel, is setting aside the first part of that thought process. So rather than thinking, well, she was assigned this at birth and people think this about her and I want her. Put that part aside. In a very therapist move, I'm going to say, be in the here and now. <laughs> Ooh. What right now makes Billy feel like her most authentic, incredible self? Pay attention to those things and encourage and foster those things. And 
also, you know, part of the the fun of the here and now is that the here and now changes. Oh, it sure does. (laughs) The things that bring Billy euphoria today might not be the same things next week or next year or in 10 years, but that doesn't make them not real now. Okay, so so then I've got to I've got to ask, what if Billy tells me in a year or 5 years? Like, actually, mama, I'm a boy, then what have I done? Help. Yeah. Do you do you want to know what you've done in that case? Yes, I want to know. You will have fostered a real sense of security in Billy to be able to determine for Billy, I'm going to say for herself in this moment, for herself to get to reflect and figure out who Billy is and what that means and to know that no matter what, you, mama, are going to support it. Okay. So that means that if you have a cis child you have a cis girl and your cis girl is really into pink and princesses and Barbie things. It's okay to embrace that for as long as they are into it. And then if they suddenly decide I'm actually a butch lesbian and I have no (laughs) interest whatsoever in sparkles, it doesn't mean that they are not still their authentic self. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That is absolutely (laughs) what you're hearing me say. So we can just like love and support and accept who our children tell us they are like the whole way through. We don't we don't have to prepare them for a future that we expect for them. I mean, we want to prepare them for a future. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But we don't know what that future is and neither do they. That makes so much sense. Like, as people, we don't need to set up every stepping stone in the path ahead perfectly, right? We don't need, we, we, we're allowed to try things. This is making me think about the fact that when Trevor and I decided that we were going to raise Billy as a vegetarian, people were surprised by that. They were like, oh, well, you're... That means that you are imposing vegetarianism on your child. You're not letting her choose. It took us a while to to figure out how to articulate why that was a weird thing mm. to say or why it felt weird to us. But eventually we had the language to be like, well, feeding your child meat is also imposing a dietary choice on your child. Literally, whatever you feed your child... <laughs> You are imposing that food on them. And it doesn't mean that one choice is better or worse. It's always like what what you consume and how you feel about what you consume is a social construct. And so there's like the norm, which is mm. people are omnivores. Therefore, you should eat vegetables and meat. And then there's the deviation from the norm, which is for us, being vegetarian and not eating meat. Mm -hmm. So with gender, whether we impose gendered expectations on our children or listen to what they tell us and and do that, it's still a social construct. 
there's no natural way to do gender. There's a normative way. There's like the 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 bulk of people do this, therefore that is the norm. But there's no like objective natural gender. We're always just playing dress up all the time. <laughs> that makes life sound really fun. It makes life sound a lot more fun than like it actually it is, fun. doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. And, you know, I, I think people like to think that if you just sort of wait and see mm. what happens, mm -hmm. like don't make any decisions yet, maybe right. you won't need to. But not making a decision is making a decision. Exactly. Yes. Yes, exactly. Like there were people who so well-intentioned but said like, okay, well, go go with it, but don't like do anything. <laughs> and I was like, so, so you're saying do use she, her pronouns or don't? use she her <laughs> pronouns and they're like well no like like go with it but don't like make any big changes like but this is impossible <laughs> you can't do <Yes>. both <laughs> yeah and again right if you don't make the changes you're you're making a decision to use some pronouns and respond to other things and that also has an impact on your child wow that makes so much sense. What would you say to somebody who is anxious about the permanence, the idea of permanence? For the purposes of the podcast, the first thing I will say is, I think we'll come back to that. Because mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that is a bigger conversation. Mm -hmm. But I think as far as the permanence of it, there are so many infinite aspects of supporting a person or a child's identity that are not about permanent medical, physical changes. And those are all very appropriate ways to help a child feel safe and affirmed and cared for and get to experience the euphoria of being themselves. And when it then comes to the point of, okay, now do we, you know, allow, encourage, uh, follow through on potentially more permanent or lasting effects like, you know, medical decisions. The reality is also, again, not doing something can also cause permanent, lasting, physical, and medical changes that can also have some outcomes. <laughs> Trying really hard not to say cause harm. I think it's okay to say cause harm. <laughs> I think the anxiety about like medical transition is that it's causing harm. And I think it's fair to say that not supporting somebody, not supporting a child or a young person through the process of being themselves and getting to a point where you are preventing someone from making decisions about their body, I think, I think it's okay to say that that can also cause harm. As we're talking about this, you know, I think we're sort of falling down that rabbit hole a little bit of the what about the future and yes. what happens <laughs> then? And mm -hmm. is it 
doing more harm. But what about, again, right now and big picture, what kind of relationship do you want with your child? Yeah, I want the kind of relationship where she trusts me and can come to me and be honest with me about not just who she is, but also like when I'm saying and doing something hurtful, right? Mm. Like I want, I want to have the kind of relationship with my child where she trusts me to hear that I'm wrong about something. And so following her lead and trusting her to know herself and trusting her to be the, the expert in who she is and who she's becoming and who she no longer is and, and what she likes and what she doesn't. I believe that that's the kind of relationship that will foster that trust. Like I trust her so that she can trust me. Yeah. And then like, then if we, if we end up getting to a place where we have to have, you know, long-term thinking conversations, like planning for the future which we will eventually because all like <laughs> that's the point of growing up <laughs> at some point you have to start making decisions about like what kind of person you want to be in the world i want us to have the kind of foundation where she knows that she can be herself with me and that no matter how confusing or hard it is for me i'm going to be there for her for whatever direction she wants to take in life. So it's really important for kids to not only be themselves, but to get to see themselves represented lovingly in the world. So at the end of each episode, we're going to share some things that make the world a more loving place for our kids. Uh, this week, I want to tell you all about Flamingo Rampant. Uh, Flamingo Rampant is a uh, micro press. It's a very, very small publisher. Um, and in their own words from their website, they produce feminist, racially diverse, LGBTQ positive children's books in an effort to bring visibility and positivity to the reading landscape of children everywhere. And I will say I, I was a Kickstarter backer for Flamingo Rampant, like way when they were way back in the beginning when they were just getting started which means I got a set of the first books that even though I have no children in my house, I still have. And it is one of my greatest joys to get to loan them out and to share them with the kids in my life when they come to visit. Just to get to see that beauty and love and euphoria <laughs> in children getting to see themselves and see so many different lives and experiences and identities represented. And it's just, it's really incredible. So Flamingo Rampant. Thank you, Ramy. This week, I want to introduce you all to two picture books that I really love. We're very book focused this, this episode. The first one is a picture book called Julianne is a Mermaid. Uh, it's by Jessica Love. Um, and it is about a boy named Julian who wants to be a mermaid and his abuela who supports him and helps him be a mermaid. Mm. And it's beautiful and I love it. And there's a sequel called Julian at the Wedding, which is also great. I didn't know there was a sequel. There's a sequel. It's very cute. 
It's very cute. It's a queer wedding. It's so good. Okay. And I want to tell you about Sparkle Boy, which is a picture book by Leslie Newman. And similar to Julian is a Mermaid, the little boy in the book really likes things that are sparkly and glittery and has really supportive parents and a really supportive abuela. And the story focuses on the sister, like, reckoning with her own limitations of what gender looks like and coming to realize that her love for her brother is more important than her understanding of what boys are allowed to like and it is very beautiful they're both awesome highly recommend and since we've been talking about clothing and dressing up I also just want to just do a little plug for this online children and babies clothing retailer called Modern Rascals they're based out of Toronto Canada it's one of my favorite resources for um, accessing bright and colorful and ethically sourced children's and baby clothes. Um, I love to get people presents from there because sometimes the stuff is a little bit pricey, so it makes a really great gift um, and they have a lot of sales. So highly recommend. Go check it out. And if you have a queer and trans inclusive recommendation for us, we want to hear it. Send us an email at genderplaygroundpod at gmail.com. Wake up time. you need to know make up time do you think you know gender playground is a team effort team players include Ramy marks hannah rehack reese carr hannah mcgregor and me marcel cosman our theme song is called shout it out by gabrielle papiel which you can find on her album shout this episode was sound engineered by Eric Magnus and Malika Gumpankum. Gender Playground is produced by Witch Please Productions, distributed through Acast, and supported by you. That's right, you! If you've been following the Gender Playground journey, then you know that our show has been in the works for a long time, and we've relied on community support to keep it in production. Thank you so much to everyone who joined our Patreon at patreon.com slash you showed us that there is an audience for this podcast and you gave us the means to bring it to life. We've received so many words of encouragement throughout the process from folks like you, and we are thrilled to now launch the podcast to the wider public. How are we doing that, you ask? Through individual sponsorships. That's right. Every new episode is sponsored by an individual or a business. In brief, you can submit a request to sponsor an episode for the price of $250, US and that gets you an in-episode shout-out and a pre-recorded ad that runs on the show for two weeks. You can opt in or out of taking advantage of those tools and simply sponsor an episode just because it means something to you. Want to learn more? Head to ohplease.ca slash sponsorships to get all the details. And, as always, head to patreon.com slash ohplease to support all our work at Witch Please Productions. Meet you back on the playground in two weeks. Pull me out, I give in, I wanna scream.